Hello, Louisiana. I'm Kerry Martin, and this is the Voice of Louisiana Agriculture podcast for Thursday, September 5th of 2019. Welcome to the Voice of Louisiana Agriculture podcast, a look at the latest news in Louisiana agriculture. Now, here's the host of the Voice of Louisiana Agriculture podcast, Carrie Martin. Alligator farming is big business here in Louisiana, but it's vital for preserving the wild alligator population. We'll hear from Kristen Wall of CNM Gator Farm later in the podcast. But first, here's a look at news headlines. Hurricane Dorian is set to make landfall somewhere in the Carolinas, hitting that region just before harvest for many crops. USDA meteorologist Brad Rippey says much of the Carolina cotton crop will take heavy damage. We have a lot of bowls that have opened up across the Carolinas, 40% in South Carolina, and cotton bowls, if they're subjected to high winds and heavy rain, can lose a lot of quality. The lint can be strung out or stained. Rippey says Florida's citrus industry was in the crosshairs over the weekend. But it looks now like they've dodged the bullet. A lot of Florida is now more or less out of the woods. In terms of the citrus areas, we did see some winds to tropical storm force along the east coast, but it shouldn't be enough to cause significant downing of fruits or trees in those coastal areas. Fortunately, Dorian has weakened from a Category 5 hurricane to a Category 2. Discrepancies in planted acreage data between Department of Agriculture agencies contributes to the uncertainty of the 2019 crop size. Michael Clements reports from Washington. Recent reports from the Farm Service Agency and National Agricultural Statistics Service differ in planted acreage, adding to confusion regarding the 2019 crop size. However, the difference in data is attributed to a difference in reporting procedures, according to the American Farm Bureau Federation. AFBF economist Michael Nevue says the 2019 USDA reports have been a roller coaster. Most recently, on August 12th, Farm Service Agency of USDA released their acreage reported for the United States, and they came out with 86 million acres of corn and 74 million acres of soybeans. On that same day, USDA's NAS came out with 90 million acres of corn and 77 million acres of soybeans. The American Farm Bureau says the reason for the difference is the FSA requires producers who participate in farm programs to report their acreage to the agency, and not all producers participate in FSA programs. Meanwhile, USDA NAS attempts to estimate all planted acreage. Nevue expects the data gap will decrease over time. We actually just recently had a report released by FSA, and what we saw is an increase in the number of acres that they were reporting. Both corn and soybean added approximately 800,000 acres. We can expect FSA to release more reports throughout the rest of the fall, and with each of those reports, we expect it to increase just a little bit to get closer to that NAS number, but never truly equal it. The August report did not include USDA's objective yield report. He says future reports this fall will, but uncertainty will continue until the entire crop is harvested. That's going to be something that is going to be incorporated into the next few uh, crop production reports where you might see a little bit more certainty surrounding the yield estimate. But given the weather that we've been having and the possibility for an early freeze or early frost, I think there's still going to be a lot of uncertainty surrounding those yield numbers. Michael Clements, Washington. The Louisiana Department of Agriculture and Forestry's Brand Commission has arrested a Rapids man who was wanted for livestock theft in the state of Texas. 
Justin Thompson was arrested on Tuesday by LDAF brand inspectors on three warrants from the state of Texas for theft of livestock in excess of $91,000. Louisiana Commissioner of Agriculture and Forestry Mike Strain says farm theft is a big problem and farmers and ranchers need to be vigilant. Keep a look at your property, check on your timber, brand your cattle or microchip your cattle, have good gates and have some and a regular surveillance. And don't forget about putting up lights at night around your sheds, your tractor sheds, uh, etc. Strange says this is not the first time Thompson has been in trouble with the law. He was previously arrested by brand inspectors on similar charges. Louisiana researchers are continuing to find ways to fight our number one soybean pest, the red-banded stink bug. Don Molino reports that using resistant soybean varieties could be one way to do that. LSU Extension Service entomologist Dr. Jeff Davis is using funds provided by the Louisiana Soybean Grain Research and Promotion Board to look at different varieties of host plant resistance to the red-banded stink bug. This would be natural resistance to red-banded stink bug. It could be that the plant itself somehow is not a good host for the insect. Thus, when it feeds on it, it may not uh, lay eggs on it as well. It may not reproduce on that. And with using current soybean varieties that do differ in resistance to red-banded stink bug, we can encourage our growers to plant those uh, if they fit their growing conditions and fit their needs and be able to uh, reduce the number of applications. Now, over the last four or five years, we found several soybean varieties that are uh, commercially available that have worked very well. We can reduce the number of insecticides that go out in some cases, and we can improve that uh, seed quality. Davis Research has confirmed cover crops are good for soil health and management, but... We want to make sure that the cover crops that we put out are appropriate for our growers because we found that one of the best hosts for red-banded stink bug, the one it reproduces the best on, is crimson clover. And as you know, if you go out in the state in March and April and go along on any of the interstate, crimson clover is everywhere. Those are all those, if we go to sweep those, and we do, are just hosts for red-banded stink bug. Maybe use bursine clover, white clover, others. We're now looking at if we mow that crimson clover, how does the stink bugs in there move? Do they immediately go to your soybeans? If so, farmers need to know that and be aware that as soon as they control their cover crops, they might be moving your stink bugs actually into your field or into an area where they will move into your soybean field. I'm Don Molino on the Voice of Louisiana Agriculture podcast. That is a look at some of the latest news headlines in Louisiana agriculture. Remember, you can always stay up to date by checking our website, voiceoflouisianaagriculture.com. We update that every weekday with all the latest news and happenings in Louisiana agriculture. While you're there, be sure to subscribe to our daily e-newsletter. It's called The Daily Voice. If you go to that website, click on the button right in the middle of the page. It says click here to subscribe to our daily news update. You'll fill out your name, your email address, and then we'll send you the Daily Voice straight to your inbox every weekday morning at 5 a.m. Now let's look at the markets on the Voice of Louisiana Agriculture podcast. Big losses in the soybean market today. 
Oliver Slope is with Blue Line Futures on the trading floor in Chicago. As far as soybeans are concerned, obviously not a lot of excitement there. We ran up against technical resistance earlier uh, in the week. 880 to 890 was a big pocket we we're looking at. Fell just short of that. That represented last month's highs, the 50 and 100 day moving average, as well as a key Fibonacci retracement and trend line resistance. If you look back over the last couple of months, we've been making lower highs and lower lows. So you've got a sloping channel like that. We bumped up against that. We weren't able to get any new buyers to step in at the upper ends of that so we see the selling pressure come in that's what we're seeing here today 850 a big line in the sand psychologically and technically going forward as we wrap up the week september beans down 12 and three quarters closing at 849 and three quarters november soybeans lost 14 cents closing at 861 and a half the corn market held its ground september corn up a half 346 and a half december corn up a quarter closing at 358 and three quarters September wheat up seven and three quarters, four sixty-four a bushel. A slightly lower close in the rice market. September rice down a penny, eleven sixty-nine a hundredweight. November rice down two at eleven ninety-six and a half. November sugar was up five, twenty-five point eighty-one cents. Now with a look at the cotton market. Here's Don Molino. Cotton futures higher on Thursday. U.S. and Chinese trade officials are planning to meet in Washington sometime next month for more trade talks. The Codlick index down 95 points on September 4th at 69.20 a pound. At New York Thursday afternoon, October cotton 58.93 up 16. New crop December 59.11 up 90. March cotton 59.83 up a penny a pound. The spot market price for North and South Delta both finished at 57.16 up 39. I'm Don Molino on the Voice of Louisiana Agriculture podcast. At Dominique's Livestock Market in Baton Rouge and Opelousas this week, two to three hundred pound steers brought a dollar ten to a dollar eighty a pound. Three to four weight steers a dollar to a dollar sixty five. Four to five weight steers brought ninety five cents to a dollar fifty. Five to six weight steers ninety to a dollar thirty five. With six to seven weight steers bringing eighty five cents to a dollar twenty five a pound. Slaughter cows range from $0.25 cents to $0.61 cents a pound. Slaughter bulls, 73 to $0.88. Cents. Cattle futures close lower. October live cattle down $1.15, $97.87. September feeder cattle down $1.15 at $134.40. October feeders down $1.10, $132.32. Alligator farming is vital to preserving the wild alligator population in Louisiana. It's a big success story, and we'll hear more about it coming up next with Kristen Wall of CNM Gator Farm in Livingston Parish. That's next on the Voice of Louisiana Agriculture podcast. As the old saying goes, close only counts in horseshoes. So why take the chance with weather information when it comes to critical decisions with your fields? It's time to experience pinpoint field-level forecasts that are 40% more accurate than the competition. Experience the DTN Ag Weather Station. With this level of information, you'll know exactly what's happening at any time in your actual fields. This allows you to plant, spray, and harvest with a new degree of precision. Head to DTN.com today to learn more. The Voice of Louisiana Agriculture podcast. $84 million a year. 
That's what Louisiana alligator farmers make from selling every part of the alligator. But what they do for the wild alligator population is priceless. CNM Gator Farm in Livingston Parish releases more than 3,000 alligators back into the wild every year. Now to hear more about alligator farming in Louisiana, here's Avery Davidson with CNM Gator Farm's Kristen Wall. First, tell me a little bit about what y'all do here at CNM Gator Farm. Right. Okay, so I'll give you kind of the full year cycle of what happens on an alligator farm. So basically the cycle starts around May, and um, in May we will fly over the swamps and we will spot alligator nests. So we'll spot them, we'll mark them in a GPS system, then come around um, end mid of June, we'll take airboats out in the swamps and we will go collect the eggs there and bring them back to the farm. So then we'll incubate them for about 63 days and then we come to about... August about right now um, and then we start hatching so we hatch all of the eggs by hand that lasts for about three weeks really heavy with hatching um, so then we will um, you know they'll go into the barns which you see um, they'll go into the barns and we'll raise them for about a year and a half ish um, to get to the market size that we sell for um, and at that time we will harvest them and we sell everything on their body we sell the meat but we get most of our profit primarily from the skins um, and then we also take um, right now it's 10% of our harvest and we return that back into the wild to keep the alligator population up. So 10% would be roughly what, about 3,000, 3,500 gators every year? Yep, sounds about right. So what, what is market size and what, you, you went through the process, but mm -hmm. what, what kind of work is it to do that all year long? So the market size is around four foot. Um, it can vary depending on who we're selling to and what specific product they're going to make out of the skin. Um, so the smaller gators we sell, which is around around four foot, um, sometimes it could be a little smaller, um, that goes to make primarily watch straps. Now if they want to make a bigger product, uh, you know, purses, boots, well that would be a little bit bigger gator. Um, so we can grow them to be up to around five foot, um, but that's, that's about the size. So um, yeah, they're raised here in these barns, they're fed twice a day, they're taken, they're fed real, real well compared to the wild. So they'll grow at, on this farm, they'll grow three times faster here than they would in the wild. Um, so it definitely speeds up the process so we can get them to that market size a lot quicker than in the wild. So during the year, obviously, uh, you guys are paying attention to temperature. Uh, your mom was telling me a little interesting fact about when, when you're incubating the eggs, the temperature there. Right. So um, if we can collect the eggs early enough um, in the process from when they're laid and we bring them back to the farm, we can actually control the sex of the gator um, based off of the temperature which we keep the incubator. So if it is kept at 85 degrees, um, the turnout will be 80% females, and if it's kept at 90 degrees, the turnout will be 80% males. So we like to keep it in the middle um, for whenever we return them back into the wild, like I mentioned. Um, it needs to be kind of split sex. That way it, uh, the gators can reproduce in the wild and we can continue to do this. So you've been through FFA. You've, um, you've graduated from LSU. Why do you continue to do this? What do you love about gator farming? Right, so I didn't always expect to do this. Um, when I was in high school, I still wasn't really sure what I was going to do, but then, um, like you said, I was involved in FFA. Um, I was the state president in 2014, 2015. Uh, so I kind of discovered my love for agriculture and just my passion for it. Um, so then I was like, well, it seems 
kind of silly to not come back to my family farm if I want to pursue a career in agriculture. Um, so I, I do really enjoy uh, working here just because, I mean, I'm a third generation alligator farmer now and um, it feels really nice to just continue the legacy that, you know, my grandpa and my dad have started here. Um, and I really enjoy just, you know, spreading the good word about alligator farming and it really is so important to Louisiana's economy and it helps boost the alligator population, which, you know, that's such a staple of Louisiana. Like, what would we be if we didn't have alligators? Um, so, you know, I just really like to spread the importance of it and obviously keep doing the good work of my family. So if these gators w were hatched in the wild, what would be the survival rate? So when the gators are hatched in the wild, you know, they're only about this big and literally anything out there can eat them. They have so many natural predators and one of them being alligators. Um, so bigger alligators can eat the smaller ones and then not to mention we live in Louisiana, hurricanes, natural disasters, if the eggs go underwater they're done. Um, so if they were to just hatch naturally in the wild, um, less than 10% of the gators will actually survive. So when we go and collect them and bring them back here to a safe place, we are saving so many gators and then we're growing them to a size to where they can be released back into the wild and able, they're able to fend for themselves. Um, so back in the 1970s alligators were actually on the endangered species list and around that time is when alligator farming got started and because of that I mean we all know now there's plenty of gators around um, and that is because of the efforts of the alligator farmers and releasing them back into the wild at um, you know a, a safe size so they can protect themselves. That's Kristen Wall with CNM Gator Farm in Livingston Parish. Thanks again to Avery Davidson for sharing that interview for the podcast. Well, that wraps up today's podcast. We'll see you tomorrow, but in the meantime, be sure to connect with us on social media. We're on both Facebook and Twitter. The handle is at Voice of LA Ag. We'll see you tomorrow right here on the Voice of Louisiana Agriculture podcast. Thanks for listening to the Voice of Louisiana Agriculture podcast. This podcast is produced by Kerry Martin and the Louisiana Farm Bureau Federation. For more information, be sure to check out our website, voiceoflouisianaagriculture.org and lafarmbureau.org.